Five o'clock hour on the new FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson in for Nick Schwert the rest of the today and in with you tomorrow. Joined now by Scott Chasen of 24-7 Sports. Uh, KU loses to Villanova, and I know it's it's been, I don't know, four or five days since that loss for KU uh, against Nova, but we, we haven't had a chance to really harp on it a ton, being that we had the last couple of days off uh, with our little Christmas break here at RCST. You were in Philadelphia, correct? Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. I saw you post a picture of a Philly cheesesteak. <laughs> what what about the game itself? What did you come away? Because to me, there's there's a couple different ways you can go with this game. There's the, well, that's a, another time the KU went away from home and they kind of choked late in the game and looked really bad on offense. You can also go the standpoint of, well, they're still a really good team, have two losses, combined three points. Yeah. No I mean, Marcus Garrett, by the way. Right. There's so many ways you can go with this. The Garrett injury, the freshman played well. Um, how does that kind of affect the rotation? Isaiah Moss has been streaky shooting, and that bared itself in that game. That was kind of the first time this year it felt like that. I mean, he still ends up with what, like 12 points, nine rebounds, or something on six of 10 shooting? Which, yeah, yeah. Dope, which those are still good numbers, but like compared to what we're used to, if you go six of 10, that's like, whoa, what happened? Like, did somebody figure him out? Yeah. Did somebody figure out how to stop him? So there's just a lot of ways I think you can go with this game. What was kind of your biggest takeaways from uh, KU losing? Well, I, I want to start with Devon Dotson because this was really the second time or third maybe. I'm, I'm not remembering that Duke game especially well right now, but the second time in recent memory that regardless of what he's done, and he's had some good games, he's really disappeared down the stretch or in this case actively hurt Kansas down the stretch. Now in the Dayton game, he was fantastic, 31 points, and that was the what the – third game in three days, so you would expect him to be worn down, especially by the end of that contest when he just completely disappeared. But fortunately for KU, Yudok Asbuki took over. It was kind of, again, in, in this one, you think of all the mistakes he made down the stretch. He uh, helped off a shooter that he didn't need to help off of because Tristan Nanaruna had his man covered and you wouldn't you know, worry about giving up a two anyway on the Villanova game-winning three, missed the front end of a one-and-one, gave the ball away up four with less than two minutes to go, I believe, uh, just had it poked away and then didn't foul in transition. Obviously, he missed that last shot, but which was a tough shot, but he also started, like, really slow. Like, he, he kind of just dribbled right around the three-point line with only, like, four seconds left. Look, he was probably really tired because he doesn't get to come out of the game, especially after Marcus Garrett's injury. But this is what separates guys like Frank Mason, Devontae Graham. And and it's not fair to compare him to them. Someone actually said this that uh, on Twitter, sent it to me or sent it to someone, said, like, we need to stop thinking about Devon like those guys. That's so fair because Frank Mason is the best player Bill Self's ever coached. He was the consensus national player of the year. Everyone agreed that he was the best player in the entire sport of college basketball. Okay, you're not allowed to compare anyone to him. Devontae Graham was a first-team All-American who's a borderline NBA All-Star. So again, I I don't think it's fair to make that comparison, but I do think guys like Tyshawn Taylor, Sharon Collins, although that's also, Sharon's a a tough comparison, those guys did make a lot of like winning time plays. Even Elijah Johnson had games where he messed up. He also had games where he had really big plays, first in the NCAA tournament as a junior playing shooting guard. You obviously think of the Iowa State game in his senior year. So the point guard position for Bill Self has set an incredibly high, an impossibly high standard. And Devon Dotson has lived up to it for a lot of the time. But missing free throws, 
you know, these defensive lapses, just getting the ball poked away. I, I think you saw a pretty frustrated Bill Self after the game, even though he said he was encouraged. And again, I want to make it clear, Devon Dotson is great. He is probably going to be an All-American this year. He's a contender for Big 12 Player of the Year. Uh, you know, he's Devon Dotson. He's, he's the fastest point guard. He's going to be able to D anyone up one-on-one in, in on-ball defense settings. He can get to the rim anytime he wants, and he's showing an improved feel with his passing. They're not quite on lob passing. It's just this is where that next step needs to come. He needs to find that extra lever at the end of the game, that extra gear where he can just, you know, take over down the stretch, and, you know, he really doesn't have that right now. But how does that get fixed, I guess, is my question. I mean, maybe this little break in between is good for him. Is it just something as small as being mental? Because, I mean, Bill Self, when he notes toughness, like that's one of his things, making winning plays down the stretch. So I guess that's my question. Does this change? Does it change up who you are looking to in those last seconds? I mean, do you look at a guy like Ochai? Because before Devon takes that final shot— The ball gets in the hand of Ochai. They, and they ran a play. They ran a play for Ochai Abaji, which is so interesting, right? Because everyone thinks Devon Dotson is this team's closer, and maybe he should be. But Bill Self wanted to put Yudoka Azubuki back in the game at that 11 second mark. He didn't go down far enough, so he couldn't check in. And he also, like you said, dribble handoff to give Ochai the ball. And if you wanted a three-point shot, surely you'd be looking for Isaiah Moss. Now, obviously, he wasn't having a great game. But I think Ochai would also kind of be that guy you would want doing that. And... and you know, I I thought Ochai had a fine game. I thought he was great defensively. I didn't think he was that special offensively, but I think he had three steals in the first half. He was a, he was a real pest defensively. Uh, I I thought that tells you something that when there's 11 seconds left, Bill Self's not drawing up the play for his point guard when you absolutely know he would be doing that. Uh, you know, for Frank Mason, for Devontae Graham, whatever. And uh, I even think back to last year when they needed a three against. Might have, might have been Villanova or Stanford. It was one of them. They dropped the play for LeGerald Vick, which is the same deal where obviously you're going to get your best three-point shooter a shot in that situation. But if you have a guy who just takes over the end of games, you don't mess with that. And and Devon Dotson closed out TCU. That was a huge game that he closed out last year on the road, a game that went into overtime. Now, I think K.J. Lawson may have actually hit the game winner and hit two of the biggest shots. I think the game tying shot in regulation and the game winner. But Devon Dotson still hit big free throws in overtime. That's the one thing, because you could say he's just tired, which is fine, but other guys have played that many minutes before. Devontae Graham never left the floor, for goodness sakes. I mean, he was playing 40 minutes a game for a long stretch. The missed front end of a one and one for Devon Dotson for a point guard, for a Bill Self point guard, is not acceptable. If I think about the Oklahoma game, uh, gosh, this might have been four-ish, five years ago, maybe. You're talking about the one that they they had already clinched the Big Twelve. It was on the road, and they rest a ton of guys. Yeah, I think Frank Mason's junior season. They ran an awesome play. They were down three, I think. Here, so yeah, okay. it was a home run ball thrown to Landon Lucas. They're down three. Perry Ellis is resting. I think Brandon Green missed this game. It was a, you know, bonus game. It was against Buddy Heald, I want to say, Buddy Heald's junior year. And so it would have been Frank's junior Frank's junior year or would have been— I think Frank was a year younger. Okay, so sophomore. Frank would have been a sophomore, maybe. One, one of those, because Heald could have also been a senior. But he Heald wasn't a senior. But anyway, they throw the ball end-to-end to Landon Lucas, who catches it in the paint, taps it out to Frank Mason at the three-point line, misses the three, but he's fouled. So KU was down three. 
you're not making two free throws here. You have to make three. And for Frank Mason, he keeps his concentration. And this was not senior Frank Mason. This was sophomore or junior year. And he hits three of three free throws. Frank Mason, as a freshman against Duke in the Champions Classic, went 11 of 12 at the free throw line. Do you know the concentration <laughs> it takes against Duke and Jabari Parker in that time? And, right, that was Jabari Parker and, and the uh, uh, Andrew Wiggins years. For Frank Mason, the backup point guard... He might have even started that game. I don't remember. To go 11 of 12 at the free throw line. So, like, that's mental toughness. That's, it doesn't matter how tired I am. I think about the Indiana game when Frank Mason just over and over, he's playing all these minutes and just getting to the line over and over again. Duke, it's the game winner when everything's falling apart. That is the point guard position for KU. And, again, not, not super fair to compare the games because it's an impossibly high standard. But making free throws is making free throws, and that is the standard that Bill Self has for his point guards. You know, Devon Dotson should be or is an 80-plus percent free-throw shooter. He's probably touching 90. He's probably pretty close to that mark. You can't miss the front end of a one-and-one. As Bill Self said in the either in the post-game interview or post-game radio, uh, it's really like missing two free-throws when you miss the front end of a one-and-one because you're robbing yourself of two points. And, uh, you know, that, I mean, any one of those plays Devon Dotson makes, it's the difference between a win and a loss. It's not like he had one or two. It's like five or six. So I, I think that's something that you look at, and uh, especially late game, that, that he really needs to tighten up. Well, obviously people are going to point to, when you lose Marcus Garrett, the defensive side of the ball and how big of a loss that sure. is. I don't think he gets enough credit for how important he is to the offense as well because it's not just that he's like a steadying force out there by giving you another ball handler and giving self another option to kind of initiate the offense. I mean, heck, I don't even think it would have been that unreasonable if Marcus Garrett never gets hurt in that game for him to get the last shot in that situation mm -hmm. because we've seen him this year be really good at getting to the rim and whether he creates for somebody else or gets the line or puts in a layup himself. Yeah. I think that loss itself had a big effect on everything as well because when you do have Garrett out there for your Dotson, it just gives you somebody else to kind of rely on in those situations. So I do think that was a big loss on the offensive side as well. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. It also does say something. You know, if Devon Dotson wants to be a first-rounder NBA lottery guy, that he can't create and manufacture an offense, you know, playing with a bunch of guys who are obviously extremely talented, but without, you know, Marcus Garrett. Now, Marcus Garrett is probably KU's best passer. He is probably the best at knowing where to be on the floor. He is probably... Outside of Dotson, KU's best driver and finisher through contacts. He's probably KU's best decision maker just in general, both really both ends of the floor. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely think uh, that probably had some effect on it. And, again, more wear and tear on Dotson when he has to bring the ball up every possession. I think he had 37 minutes or something in that game. What's interesting about Garrett, and I, I do this story after every game where I break down the top three and the bottom three uh, performers from each each kind of KU basketball performance, and David McCormick has landed on the bottom side a lot. And I always feel bad about putting him on there because he may not have had the worst game, but it's a function of his minutes. So when he was on the floor against Villanova, KU was outscored, I believe, by 10. When Marcus Garrett was on the, the floor, KU outscored Villanova, I believe, by 7. And I don't attribute those numbers directly to players because I think that's where plus minus you get you like you never you know. Could be in with a crummy lineup or something. And, yeah, and for all pair. for all you know, the point guard scored all the points against the point guard, and David McCormick had nothing to do with it. They hit three threes, and KU missed three open threes. And it's like, wow, your plus minus is minus nine, but it's like, actually, we had three open threes, they hit three guarded threes. It was, you know, total luck. 
But I think it's a function of the four-guard lineups versus the two big lineups. And what that tells me is that when KU played too big, they were outscored by about 10 points, and they lost by one, so that would tell me when they, you know, when they played four guards, they outscored them by about nine. Garrett being plus seven kind of fits into that narrative, saying, hey, KU was up 14-7 to early or something like that. And, you know, when you go to those two big looks, which KU did when Garrett went down, KU played too big for a while before going back to four guard because you only have five total guards at that point, right? So you're not going to be able to kind of exhaust all your guard options, especially if you ever want to give a guy like Ochai or Devon a rest. So uh, I just thought that uh, there was a lot to this game. I think the four guard and the, the two big kind of discrepancy, disparity, this, you know, the just the drastic change between those two played a role. I think Devon Dotson played a role. I, it's very clear to me that KU needs Marcus Garrett healthy, but the good news is, I and I wrote this too, I'm trying to remember, if there was ever a time for Marcus Garrett to get injured, it was this game, because KU plays like two games in the 17 days following it, so literally he could sit two and a half weeks and miss two games, which is Still not great, but it's a kind of a dream scenario. Only one Big 12 game, too. We're talking with Scott Jason of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net here on RCST. I want to shift gears a little bit. Talk a little KU football. We didn't get you on last week, uh, but it was obviously early signing day, mm-hmm. which KU seemed to do pretty well, minus the uh, loss of, was it Kari Coleman? Yeah. Um, and that was a pretty big loss for KU. But outside of that, uh seemed like KU did a pretty good job landing some of these guys, still several others to come. So where do they kind of go from here with the guys who either didn't sign with the program or maybe some people that they're still trying to bring across or bring into the light here uh, for the later signing period in, what is it, late January or early February? It's February, but uh – yeah, KU's class is interesting. They have 20 names, 19 of them confirmed signed, a 20th in Kyler Pearson. He's a, a three-star wideout from Oklahoma who signed. He texted me. He signed. I saw a picture. He did sign. He wasn't announced. Why isn't it confirmed? That probably means he'll be blue-shirting or gray-shirting or, or one of the like they'll be doing something with the scholarship there. But he said he's coming on campus in May, and, he, and he's signed. So, uh, look, I, I look at the class. I think they did great, KU did, at adding wide receiver talent. I think you got a bunch of guys, probably more than you need, uh, that you're probably pretty excited about, starting with L.J. Arnold. So that position is, you know, forget about it. It's done. I think cornerbacks, they added three. They might take one more because they have a, a guy who's a near four-star, Jacoby Bryant, who is committed. So in that situation, you wouldn't obviously turn him down. Anytime you can get a cornerback, I think it's a, a pretty important position. Uh, I look at the offensive line. They took three names, but they were really in a position to take four. So that's that's the first area I'd go. I think they need one more offensive lineman, I think particularly a tackle. Uh, they were trying to flip, I, I hope I'm saying his name right, Josh Remitich from Tulane, and he didn't. He made his final decision for Tulane, and I think that was a huge loss because I, I think he would have been one of, if not the top-rated offensive lineman prospects in the class, and then you take four and you feel good about it. Remember, KU did not take a single offensive lineman in that smaller 2019 class, so I think four was actually the goal there, and I, I just think they missed out on him. Uh, they obviously signed Armage, Adams, Reed, Garrett Jones, and uh, Nicholas Martinez, so they, they got a few guys there. Okay, offensive line. Quarterback. They got a quarterback. Uh, they got a, a high school quarterback who's not going to be ready to play, obviously, for a long time. Maybe two years, maybe more than that. We'll see if he redshirts. He was a low three-star Jalen Daniels. So, And they got him to flip, too, from like Middle Tennessee State. So I think that's an area you look. I think I think you would want a—I think a transfer is obviously kind of the preferred option. 
But, uh, you know, if you can get, let me put it this way, there aren't going to be any blue-chip five-star quarterbacks that signed with Kansas, so it's it's going to be a transfer. And a transfer, a graduate transfer, obviously Felipe Franks is the name that everyone has their eye on, and I mean, it, look, KU's in as good a position as anyone that, at least to what I know and to what I've seen, uh, in with potentially landing him. So I think that bodes especially well for Kansas, and um, I'm, I'm really interested to see the way that recruitment goes. The one position, you know, looking at this class, KU signed a bunch of tight ends. They signed some local tight ends or a local tight end talent. Uh, they signed a bunch of linebackers. Really, the one thing I look at and say that they didn't get beyond all that is the defensive line. And... Currently, they have another kid uh, committed, not on the D-line, a linebacker from Texas, Brennan Scott. He was previously four-star. He's been bumped down or dropped to three-star. You know, I expect him to sign if he he wants to sign. Still, he's kind of opened his recruitment, even though he's staying committed. But defensive line, they have one commit from Keenan Caldwell, who's a three-star out of uh, Louisiana. And beyond that, I think that is where you start to go in this class and say, you know, if KU has four signees left, and a quarterback, it would not shock me if they took two defensive linemen. It would not shock me if they took three. Uh, and if they didn't, if they missed out on one of the other committed players. I think defensive line is paramount for this team. Not only did they have to replace the entire front seven last year, I mean, they're replacing a ton of guys on the D line again. They need to add D linemen. They need to add impact D linemen. Uh, it wouldn't even shock me if they took a Juco D lineman. But uh, yeah, I think the if you want like a, like a little checklist or whatever quarterback who can play or you go into the season with uh basically thomas mcvitty and miles kendrick competing for the starting spot which i don't know that's it's probably not awful but it's probably not the best thing in the world so again quarterback is one a quarterback who can step in and play right away offensive lineman is one to round up that class couple defensive linemen and then any of your superstar commits that you got like a Jacoby Bryant or like a Brennan Scott and if one of those guys drop off you probably don't replace that position so that's how I expect KU to fill out the class I think it'll be interested to see they, they have to find an offensive lineman now because they pretty much I'm not going to say burn bridges with all the other ones but they had two in their class that for all intents and, and purposes it looks like they dropped rather than those kids dropping Kansas so uh they're in kind of a precarious position with their O-line situation, and it's a, a situation that they created. He's Scott Chasen, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. We'll be joined by Scott coming up on the other side, too. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk.